0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a guest interview for you today. Today's guest is Christian Morgan. Christian's actually a returning guest. He came on earlier for episode 338 where we talked about some of these long-haul ultramarathons where multi-day is probably not even doing it justice because some of these are like literally weeks, if not months. So specifically we were focusing on the Appalachian trail with Christian because he had been on that one for three attempts, I believe at the time, which is, is a 2200 mile stretch. So people who are just like moving through that as quickly as they can are up into the 40 plus day range for those things. Well, Christian just recently broke the fastest known time for the southbound route, meaning he went south to north. There's also a north to southbound time and fastest known time. So uh, Christian now has the second fastest time on that trail, which I believe is 44 days, four hours, 54 minutes. And just recently got the fastest known time for the Southbound, which is 45 days, four hours and 27 minutes. So I wanted to see what all that entailed. It was an interesting discussion because Apparently, the, the conditions just weren't great relative to what he's seen in the past, yet he managed to get through it quicker. So it's fun to kind of dive into some specifics and add to some of the stuff we talked about in the previous episode. So Christian's here to chat about all things Long Haul Ultra and Appalachian Trail. Before we get rolling with Christian, Joe though, just a quick announcement about the show raffle. So if you want to win a free 30-minute consultation with me, you can do so by entering a raffle and the way you enter this raffle is simply sharing an episode that you listened to and enjoyed on social media. Just make sure when you do that, you tag me or if you're sharing it in an area where I'm not there and you can't tag me, take a screenshot it and just email it to me at podcast at gmail.com and I'll enter you in that raffle. But generally speaking, if you tag me on one of the major social media channels, I'll see it. I'll put you on the raffle. And at the end of the month, I'll draw and announce the next winner. So uh I appreciate all the people so far have been participating in this. It really does help me grow the show, spread the word, let your friends, family, and followers know about the episodes that you enjoyed so they can do do it too. Um, Also, just general stuff. If you want to support the show and or access ad-free early release episodes, you can head over to the show Patreon page. You can access that by heading to the show landing page, which is just zachbitter.com forward slash HPO which is where you can find all the other show support options as well as the full catalog with details, which now actually include full show transcripts. So if you have an episode and you're like trying to remember when or where I talked about a specific thing, and you just remember a few keywords, you can actually go over to the show landing page, which has the catalog of all the episodes, click on that episode, all the details are there. And below that is a full transcript. If you just search that transcript for those keywords. It'll take you to the spot during the interview where we talked about it. And then you can either read it or go back to the podcast and listen to it again. If you're looking to re-listen to something that we talked about in the past. Um, A couple other things with uh, just podcast episodes in general, I have an ongoing and mostly finished, I suppose at this point just series of episodes that I did on endurance training. So I'm really happy with how that all turned out because it has just a lot of great info for somebody who is either new to endurance training or who's been doing it for a while, but maybe without a lot of structure or just has a lot of questions about like, how do I just really simplify this? So I really understand what I'm doing. So then I can build from there or just really nail the big movers. So at this point, I have episodes... 3.37, 3.37, the long run, considering the variables. So if you're curious about long run specifics, that's a great one. Episode 3.44, endurance training simplified. That's probably a great one to start with. It is just going to kind of give you the lay of the land of some of the basic things to think about as you're starting to get into that journey. Then I dive into some of the specifics of that with episode 3.46, short interval simplified, episode 3.48, long interval simplified, episode 54 50- 352 proper aid station navigation. If you're someone who's doing a race, that's a little longer and you have aid stations to go through episode 356, easy run simplified. And then episode 363 mental training for endurance. So if you want to work on just that side of the sport and then finally the most, the most recent one episode 366 race course specific training. So if you're running on a course, that's maybe a little unique and you want to know how important is it to actually get out on that sort of train? I break down all the specifics with that. All right, a quick shout out to the show sponsors, Element Electrolytes and Delta G Ketones. If you're interested in a thorough explanation of how I use both of these products in my training and racing, I have that breakdown at the end of the episode So just stick around after the show and I'll go through a more thorough explanation of the ins and outs of that. For those who just want to hear about them for the first time or a reminder, uh, Element is in my electrolyte supplement of choice. Right now, they are running a promo for listeners of the HPO podcast. You can get a free sample pack with your first purchase uh, by heading to drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO. They've got options like citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, raspberry, chocolate, mango, chili, raw, unflavored. The free sample pack will let you try them all and decide which one you like the best. They also have a free money back guarantee. So if you get it, don't like it, no questions asked. we will send your money back. They won't even ask you to return the product. So... They are very, very confident in their product. Delta G ketones is the original ketone asteroid out of Oxford University through the work of Professor Kieran Clark, who has been a critical part of exogenous ketone research and formulation. They actually received DARPA grants in an effort to design a formula for special forces. Since then, Delta G has produced 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. You can check out Delta G's research and product line at deltagketones.com. And there you can also sign up for a free consultation and dive into the research with them and find out whether their product is going to be something that'd be useful for your lifestyle. They also have some discounts on their page. So head to delta G ketones dot com to get a hold of all that stuff. All right, Christian, welcome back to the show. The listeners didn't hear it, but you just cracked open a brew. What are you celebrating, buddy?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the southbound Appalachian Trail FKT. Yeah. Is to
0: that. Very cool. Yeah, for for the listeners who are either new or, or unaware, Christian, you came on the show. How long ago was that? That was probably at least a year ago at this point. Uh no, it was actually uh uh earlier this oh, year. Oh, was it that yeah, early man? My perception of time has just been so off kilter. Basically since the pandemic it's been skewed to some degree, but since we moved yeah. to Austin, I feel like I'm just now getting efficient within the city where all right now I have like my routine fully established. I know where everything's at. I'm not like making up for inefficiencies that I'm relearning. And that time goes by so fast from, uh, when you start, everything kind of is a bit of a blur, but yeah, I guess that wasn't that long ago. So, but, um, you have good reason to come back on. I mean, we were talking about just like the overall topic, I think of some of this like longer ultra marathon or FKT type stuff that, that is a segment of the ultra running community and just what all goes into that and how it differs and things. And I mean, these things are super impressive, super long, super logistic dependent and all sorts of stuff. So when you yeah. reached out and said, Hey, I, uh, you, I think we talked about your attempt, I think on the last show or your, your attempt to, mm-hmm. well, this is your fourth time, right? If I remember correctly. Right.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Your fourth attempt of the southbound uh, Appalachian trail record it was cool to see that you went and did it. Let's chat about that a bit. Yeah,
1: I mean, it. it yeah, it was interesting actually listening to your show because I know you started to have some uh, more longer, longer distance uh, ultra runners. I think.
0: Uh, did Pete Costellic come on your show? He was on my show quite a while ago, actually. So okay, I was still in yeah. Phoenix, I think, when he came on. I had John Kelly on most recently. He's probably the most recent long hauler. that. Uh... Yeah,
1: actually, I'll listen to that. Yeah. No, because no, I know your personal interest is also planning to run across America. Um, and, uh, yeah, so obviously you're going to take a natural interest into what someone describes as mega running. Yeah. Um you know uh you know like the multi multi-stage multi-week multi-month kind of running uh so yeah i I felt it was probably a good call to give you a shout and um yeah here i am like uh with the the, the southbound record just got officially recognized by fastest known times yesterday um and uh and it's less than two weeks ago I stepped off the trail. My last day was eighty-five miles and twenty-something thousand feet of gain on Man. gnarly trail. And yeah, I'm, i I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like it's such a long time ago now. I'm already starting to miss the trail as well. <laughs> you
0: know? you're, you're back out of hibernation after catching up on all the sleep deprivation, and you're ready to do some podcasts.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally for sure. But actually, talking about. Um, the the sleep no i'm still having good deep sleep um i'm really slow uh you know walking around and stuff I, it takes kind of some kind of healing to come back from something like this um i i joke i was in a supermarket the other day and uh, there was one tasty looking apple and a 75 year old beat me to go and get it you know <laughs> <laughs> that's what'll happen yeah.
0: you go from the fittest you could possibly be to the least capable in a very well i guess it's a long period of time giving this but it probably doesn't feel that way yeah. to you that you know it's actually an interesting starting point i think if we go from reverse here and just talk about i'm i'm, I'm really interested in the post effort just how that all yeah. works so i know we touched on it a little bit last time you were on but what is your protocol after something like this? Is there a like specific time frame you look at where you're like, I am going to give myself at least this much time before I even attempt a run or a hike? How does that process work?
1: You know, I'm I'm very I'm such an intuitive person. Um when I was probably younger, I would think to myself, maybe I'm unorganized or unstructured, but now I realize actually I'm um really intuitive and and what that ultimately means, I guess is is that I listen to my body, I listen to my my myself and uh so yeah, I mean the good thing is is that I did this last year, you know, I ran the Appalachian Trail a day faster last year, you know um I ran northbound uh was it forty four days and four hours second fastest time in the world uh and then th- this year I ran the third fastest time in the world, so i And last year I went through the whole recovery process and I know I don't have a, I don't have a prescribed date or day I'm going to run. Um, but, uh, what I do know is that when I start exercising, um, again, at the moment, it's just walking, you know, I just want to, I just want to walk around, you know, I'll walk. And when I start feeling it's time to exercise, the first things I'm going to do, are strength through full mobility and stretching or yoga or, you know, so they're the two things I'm going to target, but, um, and, and very weights, just like I say, strength through full mobility, full range of motion, just to get my mobility back. Cause what happens when you do something like this, you, uh, you end up with the, th- this ultra shuffle, you know, and, and your stride becomes less and less and less. So you kind of lose your range of motion. Um, and I want to get that back first. So, Going on intuition, but at the same time, yeah, let's get the mobility uh, back first. So that's my first step. That will be my first step. I'm not there yet.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. And it sounds like you're waiting for like a signal that your body's going to give you that you're familiar with that says, okay, now it's time to start this process versus really mapping it out as, oh, at X days, I'll be ready to start this. And that's when the, the train leaves the station, so to speak.
1: Yeah, just waiting. Just it'll be a feeling, you know, The 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 sign and the signal will just be a feeling. I'll probably wake up and think, uh, you know what, this week, I, I think I'm going to actually do this, or this week, let's go. And, uh, today, I want to do a strength yoga session or something like that. Um, yeah, it'll just be a feeling, uh, which comes and I'll act upon it. And yeah, that will be my step back in the direction of, you know, you obviously build it up to getting back into competing and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm especially interested in hearing your approach with that because, for one, you've just done this a bunch of times. Whereas, I think of a lot of people listening will probably think, "Well, if I were to ever do the Appalachian Trail or any of these long, long mega mega runs, they're probably doing it." at least somewhat as a one-off versus something they're going to do repetitively, or if they do it more than once or a few times, it's going to maybe have a much larger gap between the sessions than what yours have been. So clearly you've discovered Mm. a process that works, that gets you back out there and effectively too, because you're coming here to talk about the fastest known time, not I just got it done. So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I never thought about that actually. Yeah. I guess that proves that I've um, worked out how to recover. I guess, Mm -hmm. you
0: know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I never even thought about that. It's like a reproducible
0: model that's been consistent for you. So it's really, really neat to see. I think the other thing I find interesting about what you, what you talked about too, is just what comes first when you start feeling ready. And that actually is interesting because, you know, when I was originally planning to do the trans con and then got injured leading into it, obviously I didn't go through Mm -hmm. the process of running across the country and navigate recovery from that. But I got injured from training that was relatively specific to that. So I think one of the biggest mistakes I made after that was I made it, I maybe didn't invest as much time and energy into what you just described before I got back into training and then had to deal with some of that like range of motion, mobility issues. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a bit of a carryover from that prior build because the specific stuff I was doing was much slower than I normally would because I was anticipating I'd be going much slower on a, on a project like that than I would for the single day ultra. And in hindsight, I think I would have done that differently. And what you described kind of maps what I suspect I probably should have done.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I actually, yeah, we never spoke about it last year, but I, I cause I remember thinking afterwards, Oh, it would have been good to mention that. But actually m- what, part of my recovery last year was, to step away from the Appalachian trail and do something which created a sense of freedom because when I was on the trail, um, one, uh, you're supported. So you're surrounded by people. Uh, there were three things, uh, one support you're supported Two, it's a set route, um, and then three, it was timed. So when I came off trail last year, I said, right, I really want to do something, which is none of those three. So, I cycled one thousand miles across France and spain did i i did, did I mention that Ah uh, I don't think I you think did I on knew. the
0: podcast, but I do remember hearing about that, so maybe you mentioned to me over email or something like that
1: yeah so i so the thousand mile bike across Spain was not timed. I didn't have a time limit uh it was unsupported. I was by myself with some touring panniers, a camping stove, a tent, and so on um And it was uh, with an unstructured route, so I could take any route I decided I wanted to take across France and Spain. So for me, that was uh, it. Took me a month, one thousand miles, and it was the complete opposite of uh, of the Appalachian Trail, like I said, which was structured, timed, in a set route. So I think having that freedom and also to decompress as well. So I haven't actually got anything like that lined up lined up this year. have some other commitments uh, or things which are taking priority. Like I'm at my father's at the moment. He's not doing too well. Uh, he's not very well uh, with his um, his health. So, so I'm putting myself aside to take care of that. But after I leave my father's, I, I sure as could do with another thousand <laughs> miles. But uh, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. So um, maybe do something else. But I think that played a big part. Having that I mean as you know you're you know you you've been training for many years and uh there's i think you need that we need some balance in our lives as as ultra runners and athletes and uh you know if you're always chomping at the bit if you're always on one hundred percent go you know you won't you won't have that longevity where uh I really like to think that Yeah. I mean, I've been going 23 years now, you know, I'm 46 years old. I've had no major injuries and I look up to people like Carl Meltzer, whose record I broke and, um, um, Jeff Browning, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, and, uh, and some of these people who are a couple of decades or if not a few years older than me. Um, so yeah, I think longevity is pretty important Mm -hmm. in in this. sport For me personally, you know, I don't want to just, um, not be able to continue doing what I love. So.
0: Yeah, age is another topic I wanted to address with you, but if you don't mind, I'll hold on to that one because I want to cool. I want to finish up the stuff on the that post-run stuff. The other thing I'm really yeah. interested in here is things start to renormalize over time, like what you described physically, and then you kind of get back to it. Another aspect of this type of project is just the way that you have to eat. You're eating, I, I believe yeah. your briefing suggested it was like six to 8,000 calories a day is what you are hitting all the trail. Nice. So- Obviously, when you finish, there's a window of time where you're probably regaining some weight that you lost over the course of that project. But is there like a point in time where you start noticing, like, my appetite is starting to renormalize to my current activity level versus what you were doing out there? Like, is that a quick shift or is that something that takes time to kind of recalibrate?
1: Yeah, so I actually on the trail for those who don't know um I'd start the day with 500 calories so 5 600 calories so I wouldn't eat for the first hour but then uh every 30 minutes for 45 days I ate 150 calories you know um and I'm pretty impressed with that uh which adds up to the 6 to 8000 depending on what how much dinner I had uh I mean that was like a job you know eventually the skin wore away from my tongue no way. <laughs> uh, towards, yeah 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 like i mean talk about fatigue uh, it wasn't my legs it was my the skin on my tongue and, and and it became really um you know i mean it i i dealt with it it was one of the small hardships i had to endure it was uh <laughs> I actually ate one pound of blueberries a day. These wild blueberries you can buy from these supermarkets and um, in three smoothies a day, including the breakfast. But the acidity eventually, I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, antagonized the wearing of the skin on my tongue. As for my diet normalizing, when I came back, um, yeah, I'm still less. I'm only around 10 days post, like I say, last day. Uh, it's very early days. Uh, I... Um, What I don't want to do is gain a load of weight. Uh, Last year, I did put on about 10 kilograms, which is 20 pounds, um, which is quite a lot. And I didn't really feel very good about myself. And I didn't enjoy that. You know, it wasn't great for me. Um, And then in 21, the same thing, I allowed the same thing to happen. So this year, I'm kind of taking the approach of more high protein fat. Uh, I don't really think my body needs that kind of sugar um, that I probably needed on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, would I say I've normalized my diet yet? Yeah, it, it, um, no, I wouldn't say so now. Actually, I'm starting to get a hunger now. Just talking
0: about
1: uh, it. <laughs> I mean, no, really, uh, I'm at my father's house and he's an avid fan of cooking and a, a great chef, um, not in profession, but in hobby and he's got all these frozen meals in his fridge. I think today I had a, a lemon drizzle cake, uh, a cheesecake. Uh, yesterday I had uh, some paella with chicken and um, this chorizo stuff. And every day I'm having some of his food. And uh, so it's a hard place not to be indulging, you know, especially when it's made by a family member who main, who who's not doing very well at the moment. You want to kind of... You know, uh, soak up his love. Yeah, you know, so. it sounds like he needs to set yeah. up a
0: little diner just on the end of the Appalachian Trail and catch you guys coming off.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, if he'd like uh, Roger's homemade pies or something, he'd he'd do all right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's funny. Yeah, be pretty good. Um, awesome. Yeah, I I I think it's just really interesting to kind of learn and hear about kind of the process and the aftermath of these sort of things because. I mean, there, you if you look into the sport or that end of it, there's definitely some variance there where you see people who maybe kind of get a little too carried away and potentially never return to their former self after something like this versus people like yourself who are clearly both physically and mentally motivated to keep doing it. And I mentioned it before age is an yeah. interesting piece of this puzzle to me because when I mean, we're talking, 2200 miles so the intensity has to be low so it takes away a little bit of that i guess need to have like that youthful speed available to you you obviously don't want to be like immobile but i wonder where the age of like prime would something like where you have that perfect balance where you might have 23 years of experience but still young enough to move well enough compared to even your younger self to make something like this very much within reach. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I think Carl was maybe a couple of years older than you when he originally set the record, right?
1: Yeah. 48 years old. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the recovery plays a big part too. Uh, but actually when I was with Carol Sabé back in 2018, I asked myself um, quite, um, um Realistically, I said to myself, Christian, because I was running behind Carol for about 35 miles a day for 15 days of his attempt. And he's a phenomenal athlete. And I said to myself, Christian, is this pace fast? And the answer was no, three times, you know, and, and, uh, like then I was, uh, 41 years old, you know, so not much older than I am now, um, younger rather. So even Carol at. In his late twenties, doing something like this, held the pace. Um, had uh, had quite a sl- slow, steady pace. In fact, one of Carol Sabay's um, you you know he's aware he just reinvented the Pacific Crest Trail record. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He he uh, did very well out there. And uh, one of his quotes which stuck with me, um, while I was out on the Appalachian Trail, because you get inspired by sometimes things people say was was it something like uh, run slow to be fast. Mm-hmm. And and that stuck with me because, uh, and I also remember Joe McConaughey saying whenever he would try to push his pace, because Joe McConaughey has the self-supported record on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, he said whenever he would try to push himself, he would pay for it the next day or his knee would hurt or he, some part of his body would complain. So I wouldn't really say that uh i would move any quicker um i mean carol wasn't moving any quicker i don't know if my younger self would move quicker but i certainly know recovery is an issue because if you can't go to sleep and six to seven hours wake up and repeat another 50 mile day with like eleven thousand feet of gain and loss over gnarly terrain then you're out of the game you know you're it's game over, you know, you get out, like it's, it's not going to happen for you. So, um, as for pace, I think the pace is, uh, yeah, there's going to be a certain, I'm sure there's a certain time frame where you're like, you know what, that's too slow. Like 20 hours a day on trail is too much. So yeah, I don't think I've hit, I don't think I've hit at the age of uh, 46. I don't think I've started to hit that downward curve yet. Um, in terms of pace, recovery i really don't know some scientists did a pretty interesting um um uh kind of really analyzing the data for a study that they have done on me they're the same guys that studied um 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 uh, joe mcconaughey when he did his uh arizona trail mm-hmm. I, fe- I forget the guy's names but uh yeah so when that data comes out that'll be very interesting um I'll be sure to share it, you know, on my Instagram and so on. But yeah, I really wouldn't think that if I was 26 or if I'm 46 would be going any faster on the trail.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like the necessary pace is slow enough where it's more about just how much more efficient can you get with like the non-moving points of the trip than it is about speeding up at any given time. So it's like, can you manage to sneak an extra 30 minutes of moving time in because you weren't stopping as much or because you were more efficient getting out in the morning and just maybe like that knowledge base that you have of being on that trail so much is going to give you some of that relative efficiency.
1: You know what, Zach? Like, I think you've totally got it there because that elapsed time and moving time, you really want to bring it down I mean, I was pretty strict early on and, uh, I would have what was called moving road crossings. So I would see the crew and I wouldn't stop moving. Uh, I would, uh, change what someone would hold a pack out. I would always change back. I'd never refill the pockets to my pack. It was always change your pack after eight miles or whatever, uh, 15 miles change the pack. um, and then just carry on mm-hmm. that was it drink uh i had two monster energy drinks a day uh and so sometimes i'd drink one of those or like i said i had a pound of wild blueberries every day uh so i'd have my blueberry smoothie uh but i started to get a little bit lazy if i'm honest where could i improve next year if i was going to go for the record my, my moving road crossings turned into right let's have just 10 minutes in this in the chair <laughs> You know, maybe emotionally I needed that. I don't know. I mean, I, I, the, certainly this year, I felt I, I started to feel like I wanted to sit down. I wanted a bit of time with people. I wanted to have some company. I mean, I ran those 2,200 miles um, 95% of the time by myself. So if that's the correct mathematics, I had about 200 miles of runners and 2,000 miles of me by myself so when i came in to see the crew which consisted of gun section and ice man i just wanted to be with these guys for a little bit and then i I was happy to move on Mm -hmm. so maybe that was an emotional need rather than a physical need to sit down but um yeah i'd say moving time over elapsed time is the difference between an fkt and um,
0: not not getting some kind of record. Sure. I mean, you highlighted a couple of really important points, I think, that are just good pieces of uh, feedback that any ultra runner can take and kind of use as they're planning the race, in my opinion. And one is just like let's be efficient in aid station transition. So we're not like, say, standing there for two minutes when in theory you could be walking for two minutes and you maybe don't carry cover that much ground, but you extrapolate that over 10 aid stations. Now we, you, you may be talking about getting to the finish line a mile or two earlier or something like that. So it can be meaningful, yeah. but there is the mental psychological piece to the puzzle where my thought with ultra marathons, I'd be curious about how maybe this is even different with something as long as you're doing is when you find yourself creating too big of a goal at once, it gets overwhelming. So like, if you're thinking about mile hundred from the get-go, you're going to burn yourself out mentally thinking about that versus I just need to get to the first aid station. So you almost need these small motivators along the way. So if it is something where like, well, this one aid station, I am going to sit in for five minutes and talk to my crew and really kind of use that as a motivating point to focus on that can distract me from the finish that might be a powerful tool to keep you moving at your honest clip through the other parts and not getting overwhelmed and deterred from that.
1: Yeah. You know, to think about the end of anything, maybe, I mean, even a 5k, you know, (laughs) because you're going so much faster and you're so much more in more pain. Um, I think most things in life, uh, thinking about the finish point, actually, the, the I, I like to go back to Lanny Basham, uh, rifle shooter in the Olympics, fantastic. He's been on the uh, Trail Running Nation podcast and uh, a fantastic um, mental management coach. And what he says is the difference between the gold medal winners and the silver medal winners, are the gold medal winners are not thinking about the results. the the silver medal winners okay maybe let's not stereotype here but the people who don't get the gold are the people who are thinking about the outcome rather than the process so the so having like you say like stopping with the crew uh having a a, a, even if it's a four minute
0: uh
1: you know trying to break up what you're about to do and digest it um maybe the difference uh between uh mentally burning out Mm -hmm. you know uh and and so yeah i think uh stopping for me on the Appalachian trail you know while i was out there and like i say it wasn't always 10 minutes sometimes it was uh three minutes i'd i'd start my stopwatch and i'd say okay like three minutes or four minutes and 15 seconds so i was always aware of how long i was sitting in that small chair that i had um but it for me became uh well, I guess nothing is essential, but it kind of helped me emotionally, I guess. Physically, like I say, it doesn't really make a difference. To, in fact, probably makes it harder if you yeah. sit down for four minutes than if you carry on going, you know, um, but I just needed that company and maybe that would have changed if I had a pacer every day with me. And I I, I don't know, I was a higher sponsored athlete and I had three runners with me and uh, like I these guys were going to do sections with me. But no, I I was by myself and I just felt I wanted a little bit of interaction. Not much. I mean, in total, it probably came down to probably, uh, I don't know, 25 minutes a day of, of 15 to 16 hours of moving on the trail. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
0: you, yeah. you mentioned having people out there. Has there been any information available of like kind of like the the top performances, how many were done with more people or like more, I guess I'm interested, like you said, you had about 200 of your 2,200 miles with somebody with you. Yep. Did some of these other guys like Scott Jurek, Carl Meltzer, did they do oh. it with more support in terms of pacing or someone with them? Or less, I guess? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, like, le- le- yeah, I mean, I know Scott had... I I think the number was 50% of the time he was on the trail. He had people with him, but there weren't paces. There were fans. (laughs) Um, Scott just got
0: too popular.
1: Yeah. Scott got super popular. Um, Whereas Carl Meltzer delayed his tracker because he didn't want people with Mm. him. And in fact, this year I ran with people who had run with both these guys, you know, they said, Oh, when I, when I ran with Carl or ran when I ran with Scott and, um, it was always, oh, when I ran with Scott, he was um yeah, there was a lot of people. There were sometimes fifteen people behind Scott Durek. Uh whereas when I ran with Carl, uh, uh Carl just said, Hey, listen, you can run with me, but I'm gonna wear my headphones. Mm-hmm. He didn't really want people with him. And then he I think some some of the people got dropped when they were with Carl. Um, so I think it's just different. I wouldn't say that some think what I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. It's a bit like what color which painting over there on that wall do you prefer? Right. That not everyone can choose the same painting. Yeah. Yes, I think for me, you no. Know, I I definitely think for me personally having someone come in and just do a small section would benefit the athlete in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Yeah, and I don't even know that it's necessarily a standard from the own person, it may even be from event to event in terms of what your preference is. I know, like, my best example of this is I think about this one now just because I'm preparing for Havalina 100 at the moment, but I've done it twice before. I did it in 2016 and 2017. And in 2016, I went there, I wouldn't say on a whim, but I was there kind of last minute because I needed a Western States qualifier. So I went out there, no crew, no pacer. I was just, I just need to go out there and, you know, finish this thing and get the qualifier. And if I feel good, I'll push. And I just happened to feel good that day. So I found myself, you know, breaking the course record that day, but I did it without any crew Uh, or pacer. And I don't think I would have done any better with a pacer, to be honest with you, because for whatever reason that day, I was just feeling good out there by myself doing my thing. Whereas in 2017, when I went back, I, I mean, in hindsight, I think I maybe just went, I pushed the pace a little too much early and paid for it a bit. So when I came through, that third of five loops and picked up my first pacer. I'm not sure I'm going back out without the pacer there. I remember coming in thinking, like, this is going to be a tough finish. And I remember thinking, my one pacer came in from Southern California. The other one came down from Flagstaff. They were out there all day. There's no way I'm going to come in here and say, hey guys, thanks for coming, but I'm dropping. So it was like, let's get out there and do this next lap and then pick up the next one and do the final lap. And you know, I ended up running relatively decent, but not as good as the year before, but I probably would have d n f without the pacers that year, so it was just a like same event, total different experience and yeah it's interesting to hear hear your thoughts on on that sort of thing
1: yeah i mean i had had like i said to a good two hundred miles of um that's a rough estimate by the way of people come out and pace me um and there were some people who I felt um, energized me um, and and, uh, there was also some people who I felt demotivated me or like took some of my energy as in my mental energy. Um, So there would, if there was one particular guy, I'm not going to mention any names, but he came out on trail and there was a few of my, this is on the last day. Um, I had a few requirements uh, and one of them was, okay, I'm going to do, uh, so I had a 40 mile push to the finish and I had four runners. And uh, I said, right, let's divide the 40 miles up into 10, 10 and 10. This is what I said to my crew. and Let's have uh, a runner with me for each one of those 10 miles. So I don't get stagnant with one runner. And one, The first runner who came out said, right, I'm going to do 30 something miles with you. And uh, I phoned up my crew. I was like, hey, is anyone in, in, is anyone taking charge? I've got this runner here. He told me he's going to do 33 miles. Um, and they said, yeah, listen, we told him. I said, hold on, I'm going to put you on loudspeaker. So I put uh, Gun Section on loudspeaker. She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We said 10 miles. Then I put the phone down. And so I felt really uncomfortable because the person who was with me had get, been given the rules and then my energy started to be distracted from what I was doing to actually thinking, oh, this guy is like not even really listening to what my crew is saying. And he's really doing what he wants to suit him um, or they're doing what they want to suit them. And uh, that took my energy a bit. Whereas then the next person I saw said, hey, I'm out here to pace you. I want to do what helps you in the record attempt. Dude, if you want me to if you get bored of me or anything, I'm gonna step off trail, listen, I'm here to serve you, so that kind of energized me, so depending on the person um and their lack their the the um I guess how selfish or selfless they were um energized me or de energized me you know, I know that seems quite a needy thing to do, but you know uh yeah it, i mean the guy who was running with me is hey, this is your race, this is your f k t attempt You want to do it the way you want to do it. So yeah, if people don't play by the rules sometimes and maybe they're out there to just invest in their experience, that might not work. That doesn't work for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting because I think it's like you're stretched thin in terms of your mental bandwidth and what you're able to tolerate and not tolerate with these things where when you have a situation where it becomes more mentally taxing than it would otherwise, that's a huge hit that can impact you impact the day, which can spiral into multiple days, I would imagine. And you don't necessarily know what that is or when it's going to happen. So I mean, I would just imagine like, as someone out there, you just got to take your word for it because unless you're like neglecting something like your fueling or your hydration and then you have a crew member force you to do something that they know is going to be a bad end outcome if you don't.
1: You mm-hmm. know,
0: stuff like that, I think, yeah, you have to like lean on your intuition and know like this is going to be what makes my mind more at peace at the moment. So let's go with this. So uh, I think you, you're you in a position where greed is, is, is necessary <laughs> if you want to call it that in any way.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, you need, when you're putting yourself into something again, and it doesn't really matter if it's a super long trail or a hundred miles, I think the the more energy you can put into it and the less energy, which is almost lost thinking or being distracted about something else, the better you're going to do. It comes down to your focus and your energy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's it's essential. You know, if you want to do well to be greedy with your energy and, i i mean i have no problems with you know the more self-confident you are to say hey this is this is how i want to do it um this is going to work good for me so let's do it this way Mm -hmm. otherwise it's not i'm sorry but that doesn't work for me might be uncomfortable situation with the person at the time but uh yeah it's going to serve you better
0: yeah The other thing I wanted to kind of go back and ask you about along the nutrition side of things was you mentioned your protocol where you were doing, I think it was 150 calories every 30 minutes. And, you know, I haven't really given this as much thought as I probably should, where like you have these like kind of common understandings with single day ultras or even, you know, shorter multi-day versions of those that there's going to be a chance that there's a digestive issue and that may greatly impact what happens that day for you. I think the data at the moment suggests like 60% of participants are going to experience some form of gastrointestinal issue. And of those 60%, about half of them will be severe to the point where it's really impeding your progress. So, I mean, I guess there's no reason to believe that that can't happen given what you're doing, but perhaps with a larger consequence in the sense that The sooner you're able to kind of rally that back, the more on point you can become again. What is the digestion process like? Are you dealing with issues? Are you just uniquely capable of taking in a lot of fuel without having a lot of issues with it? I'm really curious on how those presented problems that you maybe weren't anticipating or maybe they didn't.
1: Yeah, the first few days, I mean, so yeah, like I said, six to 8,000, six on the low end, eight on the upper end. It's about that. Uh, the first few days, I believe, especially day one, you probably don't need that many calories cause you still have, you really, your engine is not really, your furnace is not hot mm-hmm. yet, but like after day 10, you, you're, you know, you're really, your metabolism is super high. You're burning everything you put inside of yourself. Um, so it was hard to begin with, to eat that many calories, uh, to, you know, um, and uh but as the days went by um as i i started to feel i don't know i started to feel right this is great i'm I'm actually i'm using what i eat i'm using for energy along the trail um uh so and as for eating every 30 minutes i i don't know i wouldn't consider myself unique uh to like anybody else uh i mean i did have stomach issues like uh I remember one time Gun Section was buying Ben & Jerry's um, and I was eating that. And then I ate a whole pint of it one night and the next day I felt pretty Mm. bad. So then she switched from dairy to plant-based Ben & Jerry's. And and one time she let that, I mean, you don't have a refrigeration system in the crew car and we just have like ice boxes and it was like day three or four. And, uh, there was still some of this ice cream left and I ate it and I thought, oh, this kind of tastes a bit not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I felt pretty sick and you kind of get over it. I mean, I think it's probably the longer the distance, the less the impact, if you have a stomach issue, the shorter the distance, the greater impact it will be. Even with these 200 milers, um, it's probably a bit better than if it's say a 50 miler. So I mean, you can ride out a bad stomach. So I always had a protocol, like, if you feel sick, just don't eat for a Mm -hmm. bit. You know, just let your stomach handle it. Um, And I also found, actually, it was kind of interesting. If I ever calorie bombed, that was a bad idea. I remember Carl Meltzer saying, don't feast and don't famine. Mm -hmm. So don't have too much and don't have not enough. And uh, one time I came in and I'd camped. So the difference between my attempt is, some nights I was going in, you know, I wasn't, I was supported, but I would have an overnight pack and I would camp out on the trail by myself. You know, no one would set up my sleep system. Um, I would take in my own tent, all these things, camp out on the trail, just like a through hiker uh, on 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 two or three occasions uh, because I didn't want to carry too much. I didn't carry in an overnight meal. You know, I just said, okay, I'll just go with my snacks, but that just totally didn't work. So eating at the end of the day, you need to eat a hundred, sorry, you need to have a big amount of calories uh, because on those occasions where I didn't have a meal the next day, I just felt super empty. I had no uh, energy. Um, And I, you know, I bombed, I phoned up the crew. I was like, Hey guys, I just, um, I'm stumbling here. You know, I've asked a couple of through hikers I've passed for bars and, but I'm in trouble. And when I got in and then, Instead of having like hundred fifty calories every thirty minutes, I had some of these 600 calories. it was too much for my stomach to handle. then I had the opposite effect of okay now yeah I've got food but I'm really tired I've got no energy because I'm my body's trying to digest this food so yeah I did have my stomach issues um, and I as as you go on a two thousand mile journey you learn to change things and adapt on the way so instead of. Uh, going out with like a hydrated camping meal, which can weigh two pounds in weight or maybe two and a half pounds. You go out with like a quarter pounder with cheese, uh, a couple of chicken nuggets and a and a cold espresso uh, from McDonald's in the morning. You know, and you, that's much lighter than carrying out a super hydrated camping meal that people have added water to and stuff. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I learned along the way, but I did have my stomach issues as well.
0: Yeah, I I would imagine there's definitely some unpredictable nature to that. But you have some precedents, probably like how you navigate those situations. and It sounds like you kind of know what to do and then how to bounce back from it. Um, The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, if I'm not mistaken, like you had a plan to start this. And that plan just was kind of continually interrupted by bad weather to the degree where you didn't start until six weeks after your original target date, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yeah. So that's wild to me because for one, I'm thinking of just like, and perhaps it's different for something like this, but I'm just thinking like you're going into your preparation, assuming there's this date and then that date shows up six weeks later. I'd be curious about how you navigate that timeline. Cause I'm thinking to myself, like I'm training for a hundred mile right now. It's in about four (laughs) weeks. If I found out like in four weeks, oh, well, you know it's progressively getting bumped back to the point where now it was six weeks later. I don't know how I'm showing up to the start of that in terms of where my fitness is at, how I, like, what are you doing in these six weeks between when you are supposed to start and when you actually did?
1: I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it was tough. I mean, I had no choice. It's either, okay, listen, be delayed by six weeks or just suck it up and don't start. And I took the option of let's just take Let's take the best of a bad situation. And that was always my approach on the Appalachian Trail. Um, there is a physical um, measurement that I went by because I was uh, up north um, in Maine and I was doing some training runs down Katahdin. You're losing, I don't know, what is it? Four, I, I mean, geez, I forget. 5,000 feet of loss in in just... To, come down from katahdin so i was training my quads for that and i did that run three times before i did the appellate before i started on august the 2nd and um yeah when i started on august the 2nd i felt so bad you know in all the training runs i'd done that closer to my peaking for the particular start date i felt great you know i said to my crew hey i mean i, I can't believe how good i feel you know i'm uh, i'm feeling great that first day I came down, and during coming down, I felt so bad, and I thought this is, this is a really bad start. You know, I mean, this is a bad start to a to a to, yeah. I mean, to the, what, what what can you do? I mean, really, I had, I just had to take it. I had to digest that. Had to swallow it. Um, and and uh, yeah, I was upset. Uh, it was. It, I mean, I didn't even know if I was gonna start. So uh, when it when the weather got so bad, one hiker got killed uh, crossing a river crossing. Roads are collapsing. Uh, records are being broken for the amount of rainfall. Hikers are coming off trail. Um, I, I was at one point thinking, "Well, it's over. I can't even start." So then I started thinking, "I mean, we've we, you know, what would what do we do? Do we do the Colorado Trail?" Um, so at some points in time, I even didn't even know it was going to happen. Um and then eventually we got this weather window. And uh I said, you know what, let's just go for it. And I didn't feel great. Uh I'd I'd been doing my uh strength training. I'd peaked, done my last long run, and you know, all that went out the window. Uh could I have done better if we started on the set date? I'd say so. I would say I was uh I was physically conditioned and I started to lose that, you know, mentally burning energy while i'm waiting to start so i guess you know what zach i just said hey what what else can i do you know this is a bad situation um but actually i can do it so let's go for it
0: yeah it's sort of taking that mindset where there's going to be things you can control and things you can't control and to spend any mental energy on the things you can't control isn't going to make it any better. So at that point, you almost have to just accept the situation and then make the best decision from there. And it it sounds like you did just that. And as far as uh, best case scenarios, you got the record. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. uh, You know, I had a saying. um, It wasn't even a saying. I had a realization um, while I was out on the trail, and I just noticed this cycle um, break down persistent breakthrough in fact i didn't even use the word persist it was breakdown breakthrough so um if anyone comes up with that term, you know you hear heard it here first right <laughs> i experienced it um on a daily daily basis um especially the beginning i would break down and i would break through and so the only way i would break down is i would just allow myself to continue moving forwards and if I fed into whatever was breaking me down with negative energy, I would have not. I would have not made a breakthrough. Breakthrough. I wouldn't have finished the trail. There's only one way you can get to the end of a two thousand two hundred mile run, and it's to have a positive mindset. Um, I mean, you run hundred milers, Zach. Uh, when you have a negative, I mean, because it's going to happen. Mm-hmm you know you're gonna you're not gonna feel great from start to finish otherwise that's just that's just not gonna happen I mean how do you I mean do you use negativity to fight neg- fight negativity I mean how do you get out of those negative spots no,
0: what you just described I imagine is just like a much longer timeline version of what I would do for 100 miles and I mean that it's impressive that you're able to do it for that long I I think of it like going into the race knowing that you're going to have those kind of peaks and valleys in terms of your perception of how things are going or you know what the task at hand is from a sustainability standpoint so knowing that you're going to be presented with that negativity is i think a really powerful tool to go into the event with because then when it happens you can be honest with yourself and say okay i knew this was going to happen now i know how i'm supposed to respond to this i know how i'm not supposed to respond to this And then if you do take the bait, so to speak, and let your mind go negative, you know that you made the wrong decision. And I think, I mean, we're all competitive to some degree, and I don't think we want to have a situation where we step off the course thinking, oh, I failed myself. I went in with the right plan, but I wasn't able to execute it versus something uncontrollable stops you. So... I think that can be powerful knowing what the right decisions are going in as largely as you can so that when you're presented with something, you're not burning a bunch of mental energy, just trying to navigate a situation that you don't know what the, the process is for. But ultimately, at the end of the day, the way I look at, um, you know, just my relative capability to run a 100-mile a race, the difference between me being like just really nailing it or just having an okay day when I'm in the same fitness state is really the degree to which I can catch those situations and, you know, make the right decision sooner rather than later versus sitting there and dwelling on it for a little bit and then saying, okay, wait, I know this is wrong and then recorrecting. And yeah, so the more times you can kind of like consistently pass through that and notice it, accept that you might feel a little more miserable than the average for a period of time and then, but also know that's gonna pass the better your income outcome ends up being. And it's like super independent from your fitness state, which is a really interesting piece to the puzzle, in my opinion.
1: So it's the ability to react to a situation as soon as possible will give you the best possible
0: outcome. Mm-hmm. And like what you were saying before with uh, just relative efficiency, I think it's the same thing. It's like if I have, I could run the exact same pace but if my non-moving time is twice as long, I'm arriving there later despite working just as hard. Same thing with my mind. It's like I could dwell on a mistake or dwell on a low point for twice as long, but then it's going to reduce or it's going to extend the amount of time I'm in a bad place versus a good place. So the, the more I can eliminate that time frame of doubting, the quicker I'm going to be able to get to the finish line with that side of things. So it is that balance between the physical and the mental and kind of working both those systems at the same time, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think also what helped me on the Appalachian Trail uh, was the worst the situation I experienced. They say, if it doesn't break you, it makes you stronger. And uh, like take, for example, I was running through an electrical storm and uh, I was worried. I was worried, one, because I didn't have a rain jacket and I started to get very cold. So I had to start running faster than I normally would. So I was worried, one, of getting injured because I wasn't going my all-day pace. Mm -hmm. Two, I was worried about getting hypothermic and cold and hurting, my like, you know, just becoming in a dangerous situation. And three, I was worried about being struck by lightning. Um, So... Um, a few days later when i obviously i got through that and i got past it a few days later when it was raining i'd say well hey you know what at least i'm not in an electrical storm yeah (laughs) you know so suddenly uh the the situation you've experienced gives you the armor to deal with a situation which is pretty bad but if it's less bad than the one you've been in your armor prevails and you're able to You're able to adapt to it. Whereas if I hadn't been in that electrical storm, I'd probably be really affected by this all day rain that I was getting. So I think the hardest situations I encountered on the Appalachian trail almost fortified me just along the entire trail. Mm -hmm. Till eventually I felt like, actually, you know what? I've really encountered everything. Um, I don't think there's anything worse to encounter. I mean, I had the worst weather, um, I uh experienced record rainfall, you know, uh going, went through Vermont v- v- with ridiculous mud. And um yeah, so each encounter I got, which was really bad, just made the less uh m- the next obstacle feel less difficult. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it is interesting because yeah, your worst situation, your perception then kind of calibrates around that. So you do have that situation where yeah, you have a really rough go of it for one reason or the other, uh, probably even before the event to some degree. And then you can kind of recalibrate what you're able to, or where where you place that on your spectrum of difficulty. So that's an interesting thought. Um, I mean, you mentioned weather, so or we were talking about weather, I should say. You got out there six weeks later. Was It sounds like the weather wasn't great anyway, so you ended up having some issues. Is that pretty normal? Or do you have to like anticipate that to some degree? Or was this something where it was like, yeah, any other time I went out there, the weather was quite a bit better and I just had a rougher go of it weather-wise here, despite your quicker pace?
1: Yeah, it was the aftermath of the weather. So, um, I mean, for mud to dry up probably takes weeks or months. Mm. Um, so all the uh, weather we had preceding, starting, just made Vermont um, uh, so muddy. You know, the hikers call it Vermont. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I tell you what, right. I felt like I was escaping and I was a prisoner of war. I was so traumatized by running through mud, you know, for 16 hours one day, um, that actually that's where I got my overuse injury for my, cause I didn't train in mud, you know, um, especially for 16 hours. So I got this kind of like overuse injury in my lower below my knee kind of on the outside of my shin above my ankle um uh w- w- which got me to the point where I was on my hands and knees and I was crying because I was trying to push my obviously the whole idea of ultra running is to push the body the mind to push the body where it, you know where you want it to go so I was trying to push my mind was pushing my body and pushing my body and I got to the point where I got down on my hands and knees. I just, and it was the breakdown phase. I broke down. I started crying and I just had this conversation with my body. Okay, listen, I'm sorry. I really apologize. <laughs> I will get you into a motel. We're going to put your leg up uh, because moving 1.5 mile an hour is not going to get us anywhere. Um, and if you recover, we're going to try again, but I respect you. I'm sorry. I apologized. And I was, I suddenly I became emotionless. You know, I, I stopped crying I saw my crew. I was like, "Okay, guys, this is the situation." I'm super psyched. I'm really excited about tomorrow. But as for today, my body's ass. I'm listening to my body. So I went into a motel. Um, did the was it? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. I watched a bunch of Netflix. Ate a bunch of food. I actually watched the Made to Be Broken documentary. Saw how Carmels has suffered. And um, thought, well, if my body's up for it, I'll, I'm ready to suffer some more. And I went back out on trail, lost my lead on uh, Carl Meltzer because I had a great lead on him, even at that point, and eventually just started, well, my my pain never went over four out of five, sorry, four out of 10. And I was like, I can deal with four out of 10 because the day before it was 10 mm-hmm. out of 10. And uh, I phoned up David Horton and I was like, hey, David, did you say something which sounded like pain is weakness leaving <sighs> your body? And he said, You just gotta do what you gotta do, just to meet keep on moving forwards. And just that stuck with me. And I was like, okay, I can handle four out of four out of ten, you know? And um, but as to your question, like to the weather kind of sidetracked a little bit there, it was the aftermath of the weather. So all that rain created insane amounts of mud in Vermont. Um, quite higher than usual river crossings. Um and new hampshire was so bad i'd been training i'd been stuck in new hampshire training i came from thailand and went to new hampshire and i trained at my friend's stayed at my friend's place uh, veronica leeds um and that was my base i was right on the appalachian trail training and um it was beautiful and then when i got to new hampshire on my record attempt it was so bad it was just there was water everywhere i mean it was pretty bad is it, it, it the thing is you can't really um there's no right or wrong weather. It just changes year by year. For, but apparently, according to the statistics, for the last couple of years, they've almost been in a drought. Mm-hmm. So last year I had perfect weather. Um, so I guess it's a testament to me and the crew to persist through that those terrible conditions and still set an FKT mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. I think just the the, the, the relative nature of this sport is growing across the spectrum. And I think generally speaking, the FKT and the the long haul FKT stuff is getting more and more popular to the degree where I feel like I just see, and maybe I'm just paying closer attention, but I I feel like I'm seeing more people going after these records kind of going down in kind of like more, more frequently or like someone will break it, someone else will break it, not necessarily yours, but like the, just in general, like the longer stuff. And is that some perception you have? Is, there, is that the body of athletes that are willing to do this stuff and willing to maybe not just do it as a one-off, but go out and try it again afterwards, growing to some degree?
1: So I was listening to... Um, um, ah, you were on the, the guy's podcast twice. I forgot. Joe's Joe Rogen, yeah, yeah. right? I was listening to Joe. Uh, great, great podcast. And he had Ronnie Coleman um, on um nine times or something like that mr olympia Mm -hmm. and i think uh joe joe said like how do you guys come back and show up year after year and keep on you know becoming the world's best what what is it i mean there's i mean there's arnold schwarzenegger seven times mr olympia ronnie coleman nine times mr Mm -hmm. olympia and a bunch of other guys who i forgot and uh i guess once you kind of crack that code and you have that experience um you you can come back and you can apply that template and you can build on your uh previous successes you know like you've built this platform and you can stand even higher the next time you go back and do something so if you look at the likes of say for example carol sabe who's for me started this all off i was a member of his team in 2018 and uh, i was inspired by my experience with him he set the record on the Pacific Crest Trail. He set the record on the Appalachian Trail. He set the record via Alpina in Europe, which is pretty amazing. Um, and then he went back to the Pacific Crest Trail and broke the record that Timothy Olsen set. So that's four trails, which are over 2,000 miles long. And um, he definitely has cracked the code, you know, and worked out what you've got to do. I myself and uh, I'm a two-time Appalachian Trail finisher now the second and the third fastest times ever in the world. Um I'm I'm uh, pretty pleased with that and I even have the hunger to go back if I'm honest. So there's like I think once you experience something like I mean you must have experienced it yourself, you know, with your first 100-miler, you have this amazing experience. It's Valuable to you and you want to repeat it. Um otherwise um you'll feel you're probably missing out on something. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arnold Sorsneger, Ronnie Coleman, you know, um Carol sabay Christian Morgan, Zach Bitter. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like everyone's repeating something they're personally good at, you know, and that's um so I would say, yeah, you go and you do uh and not just us guys, um, but look at the through hikers. These guys don't just hike a trail. They hike the Appalachian Trail. Then they hike the PCT. Then they become a triple crowner. They do the Continental Divide. And then some of these dudes, my friend Peacefoot, he's just about to finish the PCT, and he's going to be a triple, triple, a triple, triple crowner. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine?
0: You know know what I find interesting is I think there's like this, at least this is how I look at it, is I always find even – when I kind of have the process dialed in, where I like, look okay, at this, is what I know what I could do. I'll finish and I'll always find something where it's like, you know what? I, I think if I could just maybe improve this little spot here, I might be able to go a little bit faster. So as long as that stays there, I think it's like the motivation to kind of go out and try to improve upon your prior your prior attempt or figure out something that you haven't quite solved yet. Because there's there's an endless number of things that can kind of, go differently or go wrong so like just having a scenario where like well if I do it again maybe I will better navigate this situation or I won't have to make the best of this bad situation because I won't get into that bad situation and yeah I think that is what probably brings me back the strongest and more than any like specific time or record is just walking away from certain disciplines that I'm interested in and thinking okay yeah I got everything out of myself there and I you know in a perfect world, maybe would I have gone faster, but I really can't expect to have gone much faster than I did.
1: I mean, there's a reason they say it takes a lifetime to become or to achieve excellence. I I really think it's just, uh, you you know, you're repeating and every single time you're doing it, you're, I mean, maybe it takes a certain type of personality, but I definitely have those qualities um, or traits, (laughs) however you want to look at it, um, that when I do something, I completely, I mean, I've been doing it since I've been running marathons and ultras. The first thing I would do is what did I do wrong? You know, because that for me is so valuable, you know, and and when I do it again, uh, I can cross those things off and not repeat them. So yeah, maybe I don't know if it's human nature or if it's a certain type of personality, but if you want to achieve, um, if you want to be the best or really try to excel at something, I think looking your mistakes in prior attempts or races is the way to do it, um, uh, for sure. You know, I mean, that's uh, yeah. It seems
0: like a no-brainer to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, is it too early to ask what's next?
1: <laughs> um. Well, I mean, definitely. Um, you know, recover recovery for me. You know, super important. Uh, want to feel recovered uh i mean i'm excited about life Zach. Mm -hmm. i you know i i got so many things that i'm passionate and excited about um in terms of like what am i gonna do i really don't i think the big question is really is do i let go of the Appalachian trail or do i not let go of it in terms of going to improve myself so i think the big question for me is Am I finished with the AT trying to set speed records? Cause there's always the north, northbound and the overall record. Uh, um, and, and do I let go? Cause there's so many things I've identified that I can change, like you said, and improve. Um, and, uh, I mean, the list is long, it's such a long list and I feel I can improve so much and I'm all still only 46, mm-hmm. you know, for these long, slow endurance, um, events i'm still in the game with my age uh my experience is amazing or do i kind of just say let it go you know so have i got to that point where i have that answer yet i don't have that answer Mm -hmm. yet i really i'm not there yet uh so i can't answer it uh but yes i'd love to go back to the Appalachian trail 24 or 25 would i do a bunch of things differently yes um or do i let it go and actually uh maybe start thinking about some other stuff just running some hundred milers i mean man I, lo- I love 100 milers you know uh, uh there's all these races in america that i want to do i'm getting excited about utmb um uh thailand in in chiang mai i mean that's my been my training ground for years and they've got a hundred mile race there you know on my trails which i've been i know so well so i really don't have the answer yet uh Uh, so to speak uh but i'm definitely enjoying the recovery and that's pretty important the better question
0: probably would have been like are there any like passion projects that you've had on the back of your mind even before this attempt that eventually you'll likely do Uh, it sounds like i mean you've listed some of them so maybe those are the
1: yeah yeah i mean i want to write a book there's no question um yeah, I do, I do want to write a book. Uh whether I want to aim it just at runners or maybe the general public as in how to take a template on how to become excellent at something or achieve your personal best or maybe just follow your dreams um and and put that you know in in an environment where people can just use that for other areas in life. So I do want to write a book. I also lived in Ethiopia for a while and uh in fact just yesterday one of the guys who I helped um emigrate to canada now he has three girls they're all canadian with their passports and stuff he was a in a difficult situation in ethiopia so that was great you know do i go over to canada and 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 continue with my notes for the book do i i got so many projects you know that i want to do and i feel a little bit messy maybe i won't end up doing them all but um yeah, I mean improve my marathon time. You know, um I still feel I can get a marathon PR. It's like, what is it, two forty nine at the moment? I'm pretty sure. And that was like on tra- I think it was mostly there's was two forty nine on trails. You know, mm-hmm. someone I raced this guy on a trail marathon. I think I ran two forty nine. was like, dude, what's your uh, road time? I was like, two forty eight. It's like, well you better, better get back off there. get <laughs> Yeah, because I think you can do a lot better. I'm a 229 marathon runner, man. I think you can improve yeah. your time. So I think I'd like to do that. Um, yeah, I got a lot of things, but I'm definitely in, enjoying getting back into the coaching now with my runners and just forgetting about myself for a while and sitting on the couch and just listening to you know my athletes and say, right, uh, let, let's do this. Let's take that approach. Let's get excited about this race. Um, and just kind of navigate. Um, uh, what's the word distributing the work to other people mm-hmm. you know I'm I'm happy to just chill for a while
0: no doubt I imagine so Christian it's been awesome to catch back up and kind of hear about the the latest adventure but uh, before I let you go if you want to let the listeners know where they can find you and kind of what you're up to feel free to share that and I can also add it to the show notes
1: sure yeah I mean of course I just ran uh, for 45 days um, on a uh, okay all right I just ran for 45 days uh on a uh a, a trail in America and we just spoke for 60 minutes. Yeah. So there's so many things I didn't mention. <laughs> so if anyone wants to go and find out the, uh, the how it went and uh check it out, go to my Instagram because like I had every single day gun section was doing social media for me day 1 right through to day 45. And then to kind of um pass the time, I did these dances. So like I would put my phone down, I'd take a minute out of my day, you know, every couple of days, point it at myself, record myself dancing, and then I'd do this real and you add the music afterwards, you you add some uh, voiceover yeah. and then do captions. So like just to occupy myself, I would send out these dances online. So I'm I do the Donald Duck dance. Um, I do some Latino dancing. I mean it was, you know, it was fun and it was just lighthearted. So anyone who wants to go and check out what my journey was like on a day-to-day basis, go and check out Instagram, which is my name, Christian Ultra, and my name spelt with a K, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and then ultra as in ultra marathon and have some fun looking through my journey. Cause it was a great journey and it's kind of documented on it. Very cool.
0: Yeah. One of the, one of the best qualities of the access we have to information and social media is something like that, where you can get a little bit or better, better paper trail of something as big and grand as what you just did. So uh, hopefully yeah. everyone will head over there and check some of that out. I'll definitely link that to the show notes, but thanks again for coming yeah. on. It was awesome to hear more about it.
1: Yeah. Zach, I just got a, c- a question. Yeah. Before, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I'm, uh, I've been following you for a while and, you know, I'm um, an avid um, fan and follower, Uh, you know, so are you actually going to look at maybe doing the trans America? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm still going to
0: do it. I just am trying to figure out the best time and kind of approach to really play around with all of it. The way I kind of am looking at it right now is waiting till I sort of get a little more just kind of maybe unmotivated and tired of, uh, kind of the single day ultra type stuff and then maybe go about the, the approach a little bit differently. So the, I mean, in all of this would have probably happened maybe a little bit sooner just in the sense that like, I've had a couple injuries the last since that first is like, I've been super injury free my entire ultra running career for the most part. Uh, but then the mm-hmm. injury I had going into the Transcon project sort of like was a spiral of a few different injuries that kind of plagued me for the yeah. better part of the last couple of years. So, So it was like, it wasn't that I was not running at all, but it was like I was kind of getting back to where I felt like, all right, now I'm kind of humming on all cylinders and I'd maybe do a race, but I just was like not quite where I wanted to be or I needed another rep or something. And then I'd have like a hiccup in that next build up or something like that. So I'm just now kind of getting to a point where I'm really at a spot where I think I'm fit the way I was when I ran my fastest 100 miler. So part of me is kind of really interested in just like, once I get that to kind of try to maintain it for a while and take some swings at a few different races. I'm, I, I've am i still got a lot of trail races in the hundred mile distance that I'm interested in doing, or if yeah. I haven't, some of them I've done already, but I, I just, am, I, I'm confident I can go faster. So I want to, or maybe faster is maybe the wrong word for it. You never know with the trails, but like perform better on them that yeah. I'm, I'm sort of thinking of it through that lens of exhaust yourself to some degree with that process before you jump into something that I expect to be quite a bit different, but it's definitely on the to-do list.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm super excited, you know, to see you and you, you, I mean, you'll be going for the speed record, right? Yeah.
0: That would be the hope for sure. I I mean, Actually, what I'm probably doing is just waiting for for you guys to get so sick of it and retire that I can just outsource all of the hard mental and logistic stuff to one of you guys and then just <laughs> and bring you on board.
1: Well, I mean, Zach, I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, I'll be on your team for sure because uh, I always think that you should try to get advice um, from people who have achieved what you want Absolutely, to achieve. Yeah. Now, I never asked across America but I did run for 45 days, two years in a row. So, um, but I guess the guy you want to go to is Pete Costner, sure. right? Yeah,
0: he's the man of of the Transcon for sure. But like you said, I mean, I think there's there's so much crossover. Just I think from the general, like the the repetition of it all, the extreme of it all, and you know whether it's on a trail or on a road. In fact, from a logistical standpoint, I think Transcon is probably a little bit easier because you are on a a designated path that is a little more established than, you know, when you're out there in the wilderness, more or less. So I think having guys like yourself are probably almost a tier more prepared than what someone would have to be to do a transcon type of project. Although, you know, it's like anything, you know, once you start wearing yourself a little thin, it's going to be difficult no matter what environment you put yourself in. So uh, it's I guess it's probably yeah. kind of like comparing like, a road 100 miler to a trail one, it's like they both have their unique difficulties and relative advantages over the other. So um, you just can't underestimate it.
1: Yeah, well, it's good to hear you're like excited about the 100 mile scene. And, you know, you're holding that, you know, on the back burner. So I am mean, because I'm really excited to follow that journey, um, or be a part of it or whatever happens, but it, it's going to be it's going to be pretty cool. And I, I've been following you a few, for a few years now. And I really think, you know, if anyone's got what it takes to go and uh, challenge that record, uh, Zach, you know, um, yeah, I think you're like, particularly, uh, stand out from the crowd there. So I'm excited for you. I really awesome. well, I appreciate
0: yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Awesome. All well, right. thanks again, Christian. It was great to chat. We'll have to, we'll have to catch up again down the road. Yeah, sure.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's speak soon. Take care.
0: All right, everyone. If you're still here, you're sticking around to hear about how I use the show sponsor element electrolytes and Delta G ketones for element. They make an electrolyte supplement. So what I know about me is that I lose 614 milligrams of electrolytes per liter of fluid loss. So what that means is if I go out for a run and I lose two liters of sweat, then I'm also going to lose roughly 1,228 milligrams of electrolytes with it, which ironically happens to be about one packet of element. So what I likely will do is if I'm going out for a longer training session or I'm going to be out in the heat and sweating a lot, I'm going to supplement the fluid intake I have with electrolyte to make sure I have that stuff in balance. The way this usually looks for me is I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll put half of one of those packets in with my coffee. It will be one of their chocolate flavors though, because it's coffee after all. I'm not going to stick one of the fruity flavors in there. So that gets me kicked off. Then what happens is I go out for the workout and then I am drinking basically to thirst, but I am also targeting some numbers at times when it's hot enough and I know what my sweat loss is. But generally speaking, for every liter of fluid I'm taking in, I'm matching that with 614 milligrams of electrolytes to make sure I'm staying on top of that and remaining hydrated throughout that training session. If you're interested in a deep dive and figuring out more about your fluid loss and electrolyte needs, I actually have a couple podcast episodes that might be interesting to you. One is episode 358 with Andy Blow, where I go over all things hydration. And he talks about how I came up with that 614 milligram loss number and how you can maybe find out about yours as well as how much fluid you are losing with some simple at-home tests. Also, I did an episode a while back, episode 300 which is just titled Personalizing Workout Hydration. So check out both of those if you're interested in doing a deep dive into your hydration and electrolyte needs. Something new I added to my training and racing this year are exogenous ketones. The research for exogenous ketones is still in its early stages, but there is a lot coming out, and it is getting more convincing, in my opinion, to the degree where I wanted to try it out. I actually stress tested it, during a 15-hour, 100-mile run at the Rocky Raccoon 100 earlier this year, as a way to confirm whether it was something I was going to include in my racing protocol. One thing I was a little nervous about with exogenous ketones, like I am with anything I'm ingesting during an ultramarathon, is what is it going to do to digestion i was interested in the recovery research for some time now with exogenous ketones and there are some newer research studies now that suggest it could also have some performance applications as well if you're able to tolerate it and get it in the right dose so when i decided to try it out i went with delta g ketones because they are the ketone ester that basically all the research that has promising effects is tied to and it's their formula that's being used in those research studies so a lot of times you'll just go and look for an exogenous ketone and there's all sorts of potential issues with that whether it's a dosage or just the incorrect type and it's not actually going to do what the research suggests it would do so to me it was looking at if i want to potentially get the benefits that these could be bringing i need to be using the one that they're actually showing the research with so that was delta g ketones they actually received the DARPA funding and grant to actually put together that formula. So like I said in the, the intro message, they have 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. My protocol with this right now, and this is something where I am evolving as I kind of do more with it, but at the moment I'll do a bottle of their ketone performance, Delta G performance, and that is their little blue bottle. So I'll take one of those about 20 minutes before a big key training session and that's it if it's a race day though i'll do that same protocol but i will take another bottle about every three hours after that so if i'm doing something that's longer duration like that 15 hour rocky raccoon effort i've just described i would be doing that again at 3 6 9 and 12 during that particular performance so like I said in the intro, if you want to chat with one of their experts, you can actually go to DeltaGKetones.com and they have a consultation service there right now where they will help you understand the research and whether your lifestyle is even something that they would, would be worth considering it for. So if you want to get a little more information on that, that option is available to you. Links to both Delta G ketones and Element Electrolytes can be found in the show notes as well as at zachbitter.com forward slash HPO sponsors. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter.